You may be seated. Thank you very much, Eric. Thank you, Chris. Chris remembers the use of that passage a long time ago, 20 years ago. He told me about it last evening. I wanted to give him the honor of reading it to you, and thank you for the excellent job. Let's turn there briefly to Isaiah chapter 3. In this second assembly today, I would like to speak shortly to get your attention and remind you of the duties of a patriarchal society. We are a patriarchy as a church. We're still, to a degree, a patriarchy as a nation. We have one of the lowest percentages of women serving in our government of any nation on earth, even though those percentages are definitely changing. But in the home, the Bible tells us that the husband is to rule over the wife and the father is to rule over the family. And I just want to remind you of some simple points. You've probably heard most or all of them before, if you're older men, but you younger men who God chose to make you a man, I want to exhort you to fulfill your role. Patriarchy is a society where men are the rulers. Matriarchy is where mothers rule. There are nations and cultures and people on earth, and I'll not mention them, but you should already know them, who have mothers being the principal leaders in the homes, and it's mothers that do most for the children instead of fathers. That is a corruption of God's plan for the family. And those people and those cultures and those nations suffer from women leading them, just as we read in Isaiah 3. In Isaiah 3, you saw the transition of Israel from a patriarchy to a matriarchy. Because here in Isaiah 3, the first five verses is God taking away the men, and he lists those men by accomplished men, and he gave children in verse 4 to be princes and babes over them, and there's a lot of oppression taking place because there's no men around to stop the fighting. And then in verse 12 it says, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. So that's a matriarchy. That's just the simple definition of a matriarchy is when women are the rulers. The Bible's always been a patriarchy. God never calls himself God your mother. He's God our father, and he dresses fathers, and children are the father's property, not the mother's. doesn't matter whether the mother gives birth to them. They're the fathers because many of the fathers in the Old Testament had multiple wives, and the children were theirs. But, at, but with privilege comes responsibility. And so there's a much greater responsibility on the part of men to fulfill their roles in a patriarchal society or family or church by standing true and manning up and being noble and virtuous and holy. This judgment was for the sins of the wicked men and the haughty sins of the fashion-obsessed women. If you think that American fashion has reached some zenith of accomplishment, you are grossly mistaken. You need to go home and invest two or three hours of your time in a Google search box and look up the items that are listed there in Isaiah chapter 3, and you will find out that they were ahead of you. You still don't know how to dress. You still don't know how to act. If you were to read the manuals, and I have spoken to runway models, they will tell you all about the wanton eyes. They will tell you about the stretched forth necks. They're described right here in Isaiah 3.16. They will talk about the mincing of the feet so that there's an exaggerated movement of the hips by a woman. It's all well understood, except they're way ahead of you. You think that by covering your outside with the clothing that you have, you think you're impressive? God cares about what's on the inside. And he says he's going to take away the bravery of all those external clothing items that give you bravery because you think you look good. Because you know, as the rest of us know, that if the stuff comes off, you're pretty ugly to look at. Get used to it. That's Isaiah 3. I will take away the bravery of their... And then he gives the long list of clothing items and fashion items and accessories. I will take away the bravery of them. Because women, when they're rebellious and they're haughty, think that they're special by what they put on instead of what they put in. And God wants virtuous hearts. Now, I'm not preaching to women, so see women, 
you just had a little bit of a pill to swallow. Now there's more coming, but it's mostly for the men. I just want to remind you. I preached to you on Wednesday evening about Christian character. I preached two weeks ago about Christian character. I preached two weeks before that about Christian character. Because character is what the real you is. And we find out what the real you is when you face a decision, you make a poor one. Then we find out that you don't have strong character. And we want stronger character. Every single one of us, from the speaker to every hearer in this room, should want stronger character. We want to grow in it. If we're going to be the men that deserve to have the positions of responsibility and leadership God's given us, then we need to grow up and be ready for them. We need to earn the respect and the following and the reverence and the obedience of our wives and children. Lord, help us to that end. Last Sunday was Father's Day, but today is the day I'm addressing fathers. I addressed last Sunday and the Sunday before that we're all to be occupying until the Lord Jesus comes. Many things will be said about fathers and about men in the next few minutes because great fathers must first be great men. Some of you are boys. Some of you are young men who are not yet married. You don't even have a wife following you yet. The day is coming and it's coming soon. And then you're going to have children. Then there's children's children. Just yesterday, I was like you. I was single and I wanted to be married. And I wanted to be married desperately. I can't believe I'm 55. With seven children married, that's 14 children. And number 16, just a few weeks away, of grandchildren. And everyone else that's older in this assembly cannot believe how fast it happens. My father has children's children's children. And that's a lot. And so we start with being men. The greatest societal need of this world, this country, the churches, after preachers, is godly and great men and fathers. Most deficiencies are problems that can be found in a life, can be traced to pastors, because the pulpit has not been doing its duty in this country, and then it's traced to fathers. But after saying that, I'm going to ignore pastors. I want to address men being the husbands and fathers they should be. When you find a problem, come if you can't figure it out, come to me and I'll tell you where the father went wrong. If you find it in my family, I'll tell you where the father went wrong. I cannot go back, but I will go forward. And I will go forward loudly. And I will go forward according to God's word. And I will trust him to make up what I let fall through the cracks. This church continues to have births as mothers conceive and deliver. But the key parent is always a father. It's pitiful on television when you see an athlete say, Hi, mom. That should tell you something right there. Where are their fathers? They often don't know. They often don't want to say anything to him because he doesn't need to hear it. He doesn't deserve to hear it. You need to set your lives and hearts right now, young men, that you want to be great men. You want to be great husbands and you want to be great fathers. You know, David said of a temple that he was going to build, it needs to be exceedingly magnifical. He says it's not for man, it's for the Lord. Your marriage needs to be exceedingly magnificent. Your marriage needs to be not for man, but for the Lord. Your family, your children should should be treated the same way that David treated the temple. The greatest measure of love for another person is to help them please God and to be ready to confidently stand before Him at His coming. That is the most important role a man can ever have in a woman's life. It is certainly not taking her to bed. You are not the best. The best thing you can ever do for your spouse is to help them get ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ and to have a great life in preparation for that day. It is nothing to father children biologically. Street mutts impregnate bitch dogs all the time. That's exactly what they're called. Street mutts, junkyard dogs, impregnate bitch dogs all the time. It doesn't prove anything. But what are you going to do with those little children? Are you going to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Are you going to man up and show them and your wife 
the example of a godly, righteous, fair, just, equitable, kind, loving leader that she had hoped she'd have as a husband and that she hopes she has as she brings children into the world? Or are you going to let the foundations be destroyed so she crumbles, she dissolves? I have chosen to jam-pack Scripture into our assemblies today so that Psalm 11 and Psalm 82 and Psalm 75 can be reached out to you, by you, and grabbed and applied to your marriages and your homes, though they were intended civilly. I'm applying them to your marriage and family. If you're male and think for some reason this sermon doesn't apply, you're forfeiting your highest calling. Your calling isn't some stupid job. And any job that you can get is stupid. In comparison to the calling of being a husband and a father and a church member and a grandfather, the only reason we have jobs is to put peanut butter in the cupboards so that the family and the wife can survive so that we can teach them the fear of the Lord because that's the ultimate calling. Wives and children, you're going to be reminded of patriarchy today, and that means I'm going to put up the father's and the husbands. You can help by obeying the men in your lives. If you're a daughter, then you make your father great. And you want to know how you make him great? You cheerfully, gladly, fully, always submit to him and thank him and bless him and serve him and do what he tells you to do. And don't balk. Don't resist. Don't fight. Don't mope. Open when he asks you questions. Make him great. Crown him. Put a crown on his head. Put a royal scepter in his hand. Let him be a prince in Judah. And let you follow him. You can go home today and say, God save daddy. Instead of God save the king. God save my husband. Instead of God save the king. When a whole nation of millions of people would stand around David who came from the sheep coats and say, God save the king, there is quite a relationship established. They could overthrow him in one second. But civil authority is established by a nation submitting itself to its leaders, and they say, God save the king. You just say that to your dads and show it by your lives. A marriage starts when a woman says, as the Lord liveth, I will. As soon as you said, I will, or I do, if you didn't have very thorough vows, that's okay. We'll get them corrected soon. As the Lord liveth, I will. I will submit. I will reverence. I will obey. I will follow. I will love. As soon as a woman does that, you're swearing submission and reverence to him in the name of the Lord. A marriage lasts when a woman gets up every day and says, As the Lord liveth, what can I do for my Lord today? That is how you should start every day. That is the Bible. That is not Jonathan Crosby, except it's the Bible, and Jonathan Crosby is going to preach the Bible. That is 1 Peter 3, verses 5 and 6. As the Lord liveth, what can I do this day for my Lord? That is how you can keep this working. That's how a marriage lasts. That's how a marriage continues to work. To the degree, and I'm talking to wives, not daughters now. Daughters, and why? I mean wives, and I'm addressing the wives that are with all the babies in the fellowship hall at this hour. To the degree you balk, to the degree you question, to the degree you suggest, to the degree you resist, when you are not asked for your suggestions, and you are not asked for your questions, and you don't gladly and reverently submit and reverence your husband, you are odious. And you are disruptive to society. You have lifted up your horn, and your horn needs to have a diaper shoved in it. Marriage is extremely critical. And to the degree you are odious by this active or passive or subconscious rebellion, you destroy families. Your children are going to grow up to know that you are not subordinate. If you're not subordinate and fully compliant to your husband, then they're not going to be fully subordinate and compliant to their father. And so the family starts to break down. I don't care if they still live at the same address. Big deal. What we're talking about is something much deeper than that and much more important than that. 
And that is a family unit working together like a kingdom outpost that is efficient, God-pleasing, and they all grow up strong and noble and virtuous and can stand before the Lord as great Christians. Women, make men out of your fathers and husbands. Don't undermine what I'm preaching. And don't undermine it. It's for your good. You'll be the most happy when you have a godly man fulfilling his responsibility. A patriarch is the male ruler of a family. The word patriarch is used in Acts 7 where Stephen preached. He used it twice. And he referred by the word patriarchs to the twelve sons of Jacob when he described them in the land of Canaan. That's where the word comes from in the Bible. The word means, like I've said to you, a segment of society where men rule. There are other societies where women rule and they're all losers. In the history of the world, the societies that were the strongest were where the men ruled, where men led, men fought, men chose, men decided, because that's the way God made it from the beginning. God was the first man, if you will, because he calls himself by male pronouns always. And he made a man. It's a man's world. He didn't make a woman. He made a man. And her name was Adam to start with. He made male and female, and their name was Adam. It's a man's world. He looked at the man after the man named every creature because the woman couldn't think of any, so he didn't bring her along for the task. After Adam had named every animal, he found that there was no help for Adam. There was a male and a female lion. There was a male and a female giraffe, but there wasn't a help for Adam. So he made Eve. And he brought her to be a helper. So the woman is a helper. She's not equal. She's not a partner. She's a helper. She's to make her man great. Well, that woman showed her weakness of character very quickly by letting the devil deceive her. Adam never fell for what the devil was saying. Adam fell for the woman. The woman fell for what the devil said. Then Adam couldn't resist his wife Eve. And so there was sin in the Garden of Eden. Because of her sin, she was put under the authority of the man. And so we have patriarchy established by creation. Then we have patriarchy furthered by the woman's sin because she sinned in Eden and showed her weak character. So God's answer to her in Genesis chapter 3 was, Your desire shall be to your husband. Whatever you get out of life, your husband's going to decide for you. Your desires need to be subordinate to his, and he shall rule over thee. That's Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. Cultures, churches, and families can be described as patriarchal or matriarchal. Do men or women rule? You know, when a father comes home from work and sits down and turns on the television, goes out to the golf course, goes bowling with the boys, and turns the government of the family over to the wife, he's a loser. He's creating a matriarchal family. When he sits down and reads the newspaper, never lifts, never drops it to look at his children and answer their questions himself. Go ask your mother. Go ask your mother. Assumes that the mother is going to be the spiritual leader of the home by reading the Bible story book to the little children. Assume that mother is going to take them to Sunday school and give them to some other woman who's from a matriarchal family, who doesn't have a father telling her to shut up. Or a husband to tell her to shut up. You say you're angry. Of course I'm angry. I'm angry at what's happening in our society. I'm angry at what was described in Isaiah 3. And I'm angry at all the problems I have to see, hear about, and that you have to deal with because there was a husband or a father that was AWOL. Because it can all be traced back to one. You know, when I give men great privileges, I also assign to them great responsibilities. And every woman knows and every man knows that has ever heard me preach on this subject, 100% of the faults in marriages and homes are the man's. Because he's in charge. If his wife isn't doing what she should, then he should change her. He's responsible. The Bible's very patriarchal. God is our Father. The The church has male rulers and always had under both testaments. If you can tell me one or two exceptions, all you've done is proven the rule that I've just taught. They are one or two exceptions out of thousands of examples that establish the rule. Fathers and husbands 
over children and wives. It isn't a cultural choice, it's a spiritual choice to follow God and do things that are right. Matriarchal societies of any kind, anywhere, are a ludicrous ludicrous joke compared to a patriarchy. Every man with physical and spiritual testosterone needs to marry a submissive wife or make her so, so that you establish a patriarchy at your address. You're in charge and you do what is pleasing to the Lord because she, by taking your name, by saying I do, made the greatest commitment that a person ever does in life. And she will dissolve and crack and crumble and experience pain and trouble and loneliness and fear and anxiety and grief if she marries a man who isn't a great Christian, who doesn't love the Lord his God with all of her heart, mind, soul, with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength and lead her to do the same. It's a horrible choice. And every father, I can trace every decision back to the dads that let their daughters marry losers. That man ought to be hung. The 30 seconds of pain that he would endure hanging at the end of a rope is nothing compared to the 50 years of pain that he caused his daughter by approving a marriage to a loser. And it's everywhere. And if you would just stop in your spare time, and I hope you won't do it right now, but listen to me. If you'll stop and think, you will find faults in fathers everywhere. And I will face up and accept whatever errors I've made as being a father and a husband myself. And I already have, and I'll do it again, and I do it every day of my life. But it doesn't change the Word of God. And I'm not going to change because of that. The Bible's true, and I trust it and believe it all the way through. And if I could go back and start all over again with my wife of 35 years, and if I could go back and start all over again with my seven little children, you could cut limbs off my body to give me that opportunity, but I can't go back, but I will go forward. And Lord, help us right now in a few minutes to remind ourselves of how important it is. Every man needs to man up and start right here in his own heart. How pure in heart is he? He that loveth pureness of heart. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. What kind of a man is that? That's a noble man. Every woman wants to be married to a noble man. The greatest aphrodisiac to a Christian wife is a godly husband. If you don't know what I just said, then that's why I said it the way I did. Oh, brethren, to be mighty in the Lord and to man up and to be spiritually sober, to be godly, to be cautious and careful in all the traits of Christian character that I've tried to teach you in the past and I'm teaching you at the present. I brought two notebooks that are up here on the platform for you to look at afterwards and just remind how much you have been taught over the years. God knows I have tried to be faithful in teaching you the things of His Word about being mighty men. Women are not spiritual leaders of homes and they should not send Johnny to Sunday school where there's another woman that doesn't know her proper place. Every important or major decision should be made by the man, whether he asks his wife or not. That's what a patriarchal society is, and it's glorious. Look at Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17. Oh, you young fathers that have just been given children. Uh, You've got a few years in the shade. you got it made. They think you're God. They don't know God yet. They think you're God. You are so big, and your voice is so different from their mother's, and you feel so different from them, and mother reacts when you're around, and you're so strong when you hold them, and you're so strong when you spank them. You're God. And when they get old enough, and they see you assemble a tricycle and put them on it, and it works, took me quite a few efforts, they know that you're smart. You can ask them questions, and they know the answers. You're like God to them. This is what Proverbs 17.6 says. Children's children are the crown of old men. That's a nice first clause, but it's not what I want today. Children's children are the crown of old men. Grandchildren only crown old men when grandchildren are godly and virtuous. Because no grandfather wants his grandson in prison. He's not crowned with a prisoner. 
This implies and assumes by elliptical construction that children's children, when they walk in the way of righteousness, are the crown of old men, because it says that in other places. But I want the second clause. And the glory of children are their fathers. God gives you these little children. To a little two-year-old, you're God. You're so strong. You're so powerful. You're so loving. You're so smart. Everything revolves around you. You can eat so much. You can do so much. You can fix things. You have answers. You're powerful. You protect in storms. You protect from monsters at night. Because you're the father. And the glory of children are their fathers. And so the children go off to school. And on the playground are exchanged statements like, my father is smarter than your father. Well, my father could whip your dad no time. They're all talking about their fathers. Because that's the God of their life. And they're measuring their God against other gods. And then they get to be five. And then sometime around five, when they start to figure out by a conscience that God gave them, they can start to measure other people as to how sincere they are, how loving they are, how faithful they are, how consistent they are with what they say, and the glory starts to dissipate unless you're a real man. And a real man is not going to let that disappear. And it is nearly impossible to regather it without great efforts. But every man in this assembly and every man that hears my voice, may God help you to live in such a virtuous way from the heart outward through the lips and your actions. If you can gain the friendship of a king, you can recover the soul of a child and the trust of a wife. So repent of your sins. Clean up your life. Make noble choices, godly choices. Be the virtuous leader of your home. Set your wife down if you need to and say, I don't need your suggestions anymore. You balk at me and you undermine me as your husband. I don't want that anymore. Please follow me. I want to be a patriarchal leader like the Bible teaches. Tell her so and then show her. Earn her respect by your godliness, the character trait of being communicative. If you're not a big communicator, then learn how and start it today. Because it's not a choice. When you're a leader, you need to tell those under your authority what they need to know from you. As children get older, they face the reality as to whether their fathers deserve the glory that they gave them when they were young or not. I know the stories. People have told me the stories of reaching a certain day where a child, a a daughter who so greatly loved her father and believed that he was God, realized he's wrong. He's wrong. And you know what happens? They crack. They crumble. They dissolve. So we don't have a right to do what's wrong. I want to say this. When a woman sins, she sins once. When a husband sins, he sins twice. When a father sins, he sins thrice. Or the number of times he has children, plus a wife, plus himself. It's a mathematical formula. The glory of children of their fathers. Why is George Washington called the father of our nation? I wonder why he's not called the mother of our nation. Is Is it part of that patriarchy thing? George not being the mother of our nation? You say, well, they got Lady Liberty in New York Harbor. Yes, and the Bible has Lady Wisdom. Because the Lord presented wisdom as a lady to try to save you from Lady Folly, who wants to seduce you into sexual sin. I bless the God of heaven for his wisdom. But why is George Washington the father of our nation? Many things could be said about him. And Brother Jeff, anything you want to say about him on Wednesday evening, you're welcome to. I'm sorry I didn't get to call you or email you about it. You've got 72 hours. I appreciate Jeff for telling me a little bit more about George Washington. I'm not going to tell you about George Washington. I just want you to ask 
Maybe go find out why he's the father of our nation. You say, well, it's because he was the first president. You don't know very much about George Washington. Yes, he was the first president. He was the best before he was the first. He was the first because he was the best. And he did the mostest for our nation of any man. The nation was willing to follow him because they trusted him. Do you know why they trusted him? Because he had character that was unimpeachable. Do you know why the army was willing to follow a man that had no experience guiding an army? Because of his character. Because whatever he said he would do, he would do. Why was Congress willing to follow him in the early days of a nation when there wasn't a nation yet? Because they knew that he would always be honest and he would always be faithful and he would do whatever he set his task to. And they knew that he was a man of commitment. I'm going to tell you something right now. A real man lives for a cause greater than himself. If a person, if a man, if a, if a male, he's not really a man. If a male is living for himself, his job, his body, his fun, his cars, his stuff, his video games, he's a boy. That's how you measure. When you meet a man, he's living for a cause greater than himself. His job doesn't matter. His income doesn't matter. That stuff is too insignificant. He has another cause. Now, the cause of George Washington wasn't as high and as noble as the cause of every man should be in this church. His cause was our country. But for a nation and an army and a Congress, that cause was big enough for them to follow him. But for us, the cause is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, then all of a sudden the job doesn't matter. And all these other things don't matter because I make my choices for the cause of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ so that occupy till I come from last Sunday from Luke 19 becomes the driving force. Now that's a man. See, he's looking outside himself. He's not still playing with boy things. The Apostle Paul would say this about maturity. He was just giving a rule about maturity in 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And these little boys grow up, and you know, playing with a truck in the sandbox is the biggest event that they can think of. You know, then, then it's an ice cream bar when that ridiculous truck comes down the street with that terrible music and wants $3.50 for a 20-cent ice cream bar. And th- that's the events. And, you know, they come to be 10, they 15, and video games, and Nintendo, and basketball, and sports, and all that stuff. And you're hoping that somewhere in there, it's going to click. A light's going to turn on that they're going to see a cause that is greater. A cause to which the patriotic fathers of this nation would sacrifice everything for a nation. All we have to do is give our bodies a living sacrifice for the cause of Jesus Christ. And that's what every man in here should do from his soul through his lips and his wives. None of those in here are there. And his wife and his children will follow him in the way that I'm trying to remind you of today. The nation had never had a president. The army had never had an overall general. Do you know how that army came from the different colonies and they were not used to getting along with each other? Do you know that the representatives from the different states did not want to get along with each other? There was one man that God prepared for the task in our country, and I'm not making him out to be your spiritual hero. There may be some justification for that, but that's a subject for a different study. But God prepared him physically, mentally, and his resume was unbelievable of what he had done. And when he walked into a room, though he was quiet and unassuming, and humble, he was the leader, and they followed. And God help us to have more of those that are consistent Christians every day of their lives, and the wives and children will follow. Eliab was the oldest son of Jesse. He was one fantastic-looking dude. 
The Bible tells us so that when Samuel went to Bethlehem to anoint the next king, Eliab came before him, and Samuel said in his heart, Surely this is the man, not a chance. Number two, no. Number three, no. He gets through all seven that have been lined up in front of him. Is this all there is? It's not one of these. Well, there's just a little runt out keeping the sheep. Bring him here. Samuel, this is the one. This is the one that's after my heart. That little boy, that teenage boy, sent by his father to go take some cheeses to the captains of Jesse's sons so that the captains would put them in good positions to might save their lives in battle with the Philistines, arrives in the scene to hear Goliath challenging the God of Israel. And he said, what did you just say to me? Did you just say the king's going to do all of that for the family of the man that kills that uncircumcised dog? Eliab says, you naughty little boy, you should be back there with the sheep. What had Eliab been doing for the last 40 days? Playing video games and cards in his tent. Cowering at that nine-foot, nine-inch giant of the Philistines. What are the words that came out of David's mouth? Which, is there any man in here that knows them? Thank you. Is there not a cause? Notice, there's now a cause outside of David. Eliab couldn't get outside of himself. He wanted to protect his skin. David wanted to protect the glory of God. And David ran to meet Goliath. He wasn't afraid of Goliath. He ran to meet him because he knew there was a cause. I hope I'm making a little bit of sense to you. I don't have much today that I'm going to be able to say because of the time. Trust me, my brethren. Each page is one hour. And I'm not going to get anywhere with it, but if I get enough that you will go home and be better husbands and better fathers, then the Lord is going to be honored and glorified by this church, and I'll be thankful. I love David. Is there not a cause? Children of a king should live and act like princes. Princes do not do what other men do. Do you know that princes are raised a certain way? They don't get to go and play with other boys. Because going and playing with other boys would reduce them to the idiocy of the average boy. They cannot do that. They are instructed, and they are trained, and they are disciplined. And they carry themselves, and they hold a fork a different way from other men. They pick up their goblet a different way. They answer questions a different way. They walk a different way. Because they're princes. We are children of the Most High God. We should be princes in the earth. The 24 points of character that start with C that I've been trying to teach you are just some of the training that we ought to have so that we conduct ourselves like kings. The angel of the Lord drew his sword and killed 70,000 men in Jerusalem because David had numbered Israel against the commandments of God. He sheathed his sword on the hill of Mount Moriah, one of the seven mountains that make up Jerusalem. And David ran to the spot at the instruction of Nathan the prophet to build an altar right there because there were 70,000 dead men because of his sin, because the Lord had a problem with Israel. And the man's property that the angel was standing on was Arana, the Jebusite. And David ran to him and said, I need to build an altar right here. And Arana said, I'm out here plowing. These are my oxen. This is my yoke. Burn the yoke and use my oxen. And the Bible says he conducted himself like a king. David could afford a sacrifice of oxen much more than Arana the Jebusite. But he conducted himself like a king. It's a choice to conduct yourself like a king if you were wondering where I was going. What schools in England was George Washington sent to? He never went to England. What schools in America was he sent to? He was homeschooled. Did he volunteer for dangerous tasks? Yes. And fulfilled them 
at the risk of his life. Enough about George Washington. I want all of you to be generals in your home. The way you walk, carry yourself, talk, make decisions, soberly reflect on advice given to you, live a holy life, manage the television, manage every activity, every ounce of alcohol, everything you do, every, every use of an hour. As I was told yesterday by a good 30-year-old man in our assembly, every minute of our lives should be chosen very carefully. You don't need a cause greater than you because I gave it to you last Sunday. Who's going to hold the ancient landmarks? It's not just a body of knowledge, but a truly godly lifestyle that should Amen. never disappear from the earth. Jesus Christ the King called you to occupy till he comes. Every minute should be toward this goal. Psalm 78 is where I'd like you to turn at the moment. You've been there before. I'll have you there again. A patriarch should wisely consider the effect on four generations after him. First of all, it's the woman you marry. And men, you want to marry a submissive, reverent woman that wants the same goals as you have and who will follow you when she doesn't understand your goals. When my wife has not understood some of the choices that I have made that have cost her, whether it was leaving Michigan or coming back after a long sabbatical, the instructions are this simple. Hold on to my coattail because we're going for a ride. Because God has told me this is what I should do. And I never wanted to make either of the choices. But this is what God wants me to do. Hold on, because we're going. And I have a great wife. And though she didn't understand, and though she would have seconded my motion to not do it, she held on for the ride. And the Lord has always taken care of us on the ride. Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. This is verse 1. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Notice the patriarchal source of truth. Our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. That may be a long passage, and I hope you didn't lose track of where you were in it, but what it points out is four generations. Every one of you young men, I know you can't see it right now, and you can't imagine being a grandfather because you may not even be a husband yet. Alex, if the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't return, you'll be a grandfather. So look at me. I sat like you yesterday on my first job. I remember it. Now I'm a grandfather. You'll be there soon. Don't mean to scare you. Except a little. So you want a good woman. Because she's going to be the mother of those children. But right now you want this heart. He that loveth pureness of heart. You start by every thought that you have inside you is pure. Keep your heart with all diligence. I think you know another man who says that Proverbs 4.23 may be the best proverb. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Amen. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips the good stuff that comes out from that good heart, the king shall be his friend. The only kind of men that kings hang around are noble men. You can be that. 17? 16. I wish I was 16 again. I'd show you how. Whip me. Whip your father. Be greater than both of us. Do you agree, brother? Starts right here, today. 
Every choice I make is going to be to honor the Lord. The Lord knows more about happiness and pleasure for you than you know. He made you and he invented happiness. The pleasures of sin are for a season. They're a joke. They lead to pain and trouble and early death and hell, according to the book of Proverbs. Psalm, Psalm 78 is so wonderful. Generations. And I have a father sitting in here who has those generations. And every one of my sons, by birth or by marriage, we owe it to my father. Because he taught me the things of the word of God and I'm thankful for it. We want to perpetuate it. And you better perpetuate it to your children. It's a big challenge. God's judging this nation. The foundations are destroyed. The inhabitants are dissolved. The pillars are shaken. Are you going to say with David in Psalm 75, when I get the congregation, or when I get the wife, you've already got it. When I get the wife, and then I get the baby, I will judge uprightly. I'll be a great father. Don't you dare bring a child into this world that you are not going to bring all the way up, leading them and pulling them up after you as a holy example in front of them to be great men and and women. The opposition, the temptations are great, but God's chosen us for a great battle. We should be honored and we can win. Every man has a mission field, if you want to call it that, his wife and his children and his grandchildren to prepare them to meet Jesus Christ soon. It's a commandment. Fathers, one sentence. Provoke not your children to wrath. Don't you be an overbearing, harsh, inconsistent, hypocritical man that provokes your children to wrath. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How does a man do that? He does it this way. Genesis chapter 18. You know the verse. I'm just helping you get to see it again. You have come into the sanctuary to be reminded of things that you are established in so that you can go out of here and put them into practice better than you did yesterday. Genesis 18, 19. I am troubled. I am tired. And I'm sick and tired of all the problems that I have to try to answer and try to help and that grieve me and that grieve you, I hope, because of AWOL fathers. Too business-oriented, too fun-oriented, too hobby-oriented, too friend-oriented, too busy to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, here's a man that God knew was a great father. Genesis 18, 19, God is speaking about Abraham. For I know him. Oh, that's wonderful. I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord. He's going to be out in front of them doing what is right. And he's going to command his household to grab on to his coattails and go for a ride with him. He'll command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Because there were a lot of wonderful things said of Abraham that God was going to do for him. And it's because God knew what kind of a father he was going to be. That's how you do it right there. Do you see anything in there about asking the wife what her opinion is? Are you kidding? Do you think Abraham would sit down with Sarah and say, what do you think of Jehovah? You think he's worth worshiping? What do you think of the altar I built yesterday? Was it good enough for you? Or do you want to paint it a different color? Do you think he asked Sarah when he took Isaac up on Mount Moriah? I'll bet Sarah didn't know about it until he got back. Oh, by the way, where'd you, where were you all day? I went to kill your son, Isaac. What's that to you, woman? The Lord told me to go do it. And if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Abraham wasn't going to let his wife, his sons, anyone, his household, his servants, the steward over his household, disrupt him from his worship of God. One, another one. No, I didn't mean one more. That almost slipped out of my mouth, but I did not mean that. Joshua chapter 24. You know these verses. Joshua's about to die. The Lord has shown him enough of what's going to happen 
by this nation. And remember, he grew up in a rebellious generation, all of which died in the wilderness. And so he's addressing the nation before he dies. I'm going to start at verse 14 of, Genesis, of Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Joshua to the whole nation. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is a man, that is patriarchy illustrated by Joshua. He didn't ask his wife, he didn't consult with his wife, he told his wife her opinion about the true worship of God, that Jehovah was going to have their whole family and her whole life. And that is why you marry a woman that fears the Lord, then you can tell her that, and she'll do it. And she'll want to do it. And she'll want you to tell her to do it. And she'll be thankful that God gave her a spiritual leader. The most important thing you men do is your example. Fearing the Lord, a godly marriage, ruling spirit and mouth, and every other thing that a child needs to learn, you should show them how to do it before you ever try to tell them how to do it. Do you obey and reverence every authority over you and speak of them respectfully like you want your wife and children to speak of you? Discouraged or hopeless fathers are going to discourage their children even when they're grown. Are you a glorious example of those things that God and you want your children to become? You must be. Are you spiritually minded? A good husband, a good father exalts a heavenly and a spiritual view of life. By example and by instruction, are you holy? Are your choices void of sin and you hate sin and you don't want sin to even blot, touch, stain, or spot you? Are you a teacher? You've got to open your mouth. You've got to take the time to sit down and say, Children, come here. I want to teach you the fear of the Lord. That is Psalm 34 and verse 11. You've got to open your mouth. Hezekiah got 15 years added to his life. If you had 15 years guaranteed to you, what would you do with it? I'd have a blast. That sounds like a boy. But just think if you had 15 years guaranteed to you and you had a cause greater than yourself, do you know what those 15 guaranteed years would mean? I can do something without a thought of my life ending. Do you know what it says he did? In his prayer to God, when he was told he had 15 years, Isaiah 38, verse 19, the father to the children shall teach thy truth. I will con- convey the truth of God. How many times do we read, my son, my son, my son, in Proverbs? A godly father is not only a teacher, but he's tough. We live in an effeminate generation. God himself chastens us and he scourges every son whom he's going to receive. If you can't say no and force it and follow up to prove compliance, why did you have any children? Pitiful. Good fathers are full of pity because they remember their children are weak and they apply instruction and discipline accordingly. Don't you dare overcharge your children. They're children. Why don't you show them how to do it? Let them follow a tag along behind you. Consistency. It's not massive efforts. It's not great revivals. It's a little bit done consistently every day so that they always know what is right. They always know what is a good spirit. They always know where dad stands. They always know the boundaries because it never changes, because there's consistency. A great father is knowledgeable. Do you know your children? Do you know the world they live in? And do you know the word of God that answers all their problems? A glorious king searches out matters, and so should a wise husband and a wise father. Our father knows what we have need of before we ask, and we should know what our children have need of before they ask. Are you kind and loving? 
Jesus said that a, a sinful father knows not to give his children a scorpion when they ask an egg, nor a serpent when they ask a fish. Are you loving, kind, merciful, gracious, helpful, and care about your children? Are you able to hug them? Do you like to hug them? Are you prudent? Good fathers see the future and prepare their children for it. Children don't look beyond the present. They're too enamored by it. They've never been threatened by it. But fathers look ahead and see what's coming. What's the effect? Great fathers will be happy men because their children will be wise. And Solomon said, a man with a wise son is a very happy man. Happy wives are in effect because they're thankful that they gave birth to see a father love the children that they gave birth to. Happy children are in effect because the love and security and guidance of a great man makes them happy. Psalm 144, which is a theme psalm of this church, is happy as that people whose God is the Lord. Their daughters are like polished cornerstones of a palace. Their sons are like plants growing up in their youth. Their oxen are laboring. There's prosperity everywhere. Happy is that people. Starts out with men who did what this church did the first thing this morning and then follow it up at home. Wives and children, You've heard patriarchy taught today. You need to help your fathers and your husbands. Go home and be that cheerful, submissive child that you should be if you're still living under your father's roof. If you're not, then you have left your father and mother and you have one allegiance only, and that is to your husband. You said that as the Lord liveth, you will, then do it. Don't balk. Don't question Don't suggest. Don't resist. When he wants your opinion, he'll ask for it. Until then, don't give it. He doesn't want it. He doesn't need it for sure. Girls, if you don't think there was much in this second sermon for you, let me tell you a little secret. If you don't think about what I just said and the seriousness of marriage, you are a fool because you have no idea of the cost that can be extracted out of you in pain and loneliness, frustration, misery, doubt, and insecurity, and a thousand other things if you marry the wrong man, a man who's a boy, a man who's worldly-minded and not a Christian man. Being married to the wrong man is far more painful than you have ever experienced being single. Girls, if you don't think there was very much for you and you're wondering where is God going to get a prince from for you, you just make sure you go home and be a princess to your father right now. I want to hear, I want, I want to know which man is going to email me first and say, I got God saved, Daddy. What does Ruth get? Ruth, because she was a virtuous princess, got Boaz, the prince. Abigail, because she was a princess, got David, the king. Princesses get princes. No prince is ever going to look twice at a little twit of this world who thinks that her new double-pierced earlobes are cool. No prince would ever look at such a stupid, idiotic creature that would find herself in the last third of Isaiah 3. A prince is going to come along looking for an independent fear of the Lord. A girl that walks with Jesus Christ and delights in him, who lives the spirit-filled life of a Christian. A prince is going to say, I want that kind of a woman because the two of us together, me leading that kind of a woman, will be great in the sight of the Lord. And our children will be great and our children will be blessed. If you failed in some or many ways, look at me and trust the living God who put his son on the cross of Calvary to wash away all our sins and then stand up and do what you're supposed to do. Do you know what the Apostle Paul had done? But do you know what the instruction was to him? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. 
Much material's been prepared in the past. I've been over it. I'll see you men on Wednesday evening. I'll speak to you again. I know that it's late today, and I know that you can strongly resent me. I hope that you'll go out of here armed, ready, excited, thankful that God made you a man, and whatever you can do in the way of praying for God to forgive your past, He will. If you'll live righteously, I sent you a proverb this week, the just man liveth in his integrity, or the just man walketh in his integrity, and his seed is blessed after him. You be righteous, and God will take care of your family, but then you need to take care of it. You are the means for the salvation of your family, your wife, your children. Don't let the foundations be destroyed. Don't let the pillars be broken. Don't let the inhabitants of your house be dissolved. You've been given a congregation. I bear up the pillars of it. Man up. Bear up those pillars like a Christian man. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.